0: Teaching on the seven levels of glory. The seven levels of glory. I don't think I. T- oh, okay, it's back on again. <laughs> this is so common. Um, we are totally used to it. I'm. I'm cool. Uh, I got to the sixth level. I had my typical handheld microphone and fire shot out of the wireless microphone. It's impossible to do. Fire shot out, the sound system went out, every light went out in the building and four blocks on every side. A power outage, lightning like struck, there was no lightning. It was a clear sky. There was no reason for it other than the glory of God. And it wasn't the sign that made us wonder. It was the glory that came. And every one of us kissed the carpet for about an hour. We were face down wanting to breathe. We just wanted to live through it. It was that intense. You may have never been in that level of a glory, but I can tell you it's like an elephant sitting on top of you. You want to just live through it. And uh, the next day, the newspaper came out and talked about this strange outage that happened in the area of Atlanta where we were. The people that were in that meeting for the next six months went to every single meeting I was, no matter where it was in the United States. They flew there expecting to see more. We were in Rhode Island. Is it okay? Can you handle the miraculous? Or you just, you just want to read it in the Bible but not experience it? Uh, After we had pastored 18 years, the Lord gave us instruction to turn our church over, which we did to a a younger leadership team, and uh, I got immediately, I got a call from a friend in uh, Providence, and he said, hey, I heard uh, you just stepped down. I said, yeah, and so you got Sundays free? I said, yeah, so would you come? I said, okay, would you let me speak on anything I want? He said, do it. So I asked the Lord, what do you want me to tell them? He said, tell them I'm going to send a coal of fire to the church. I said, well, that's going to be a short message. <laughs> <clears throat> so I got up behind the pulpit. The building, the ceiling was actually a little bit higher than this one. And uh, quite, quite a, a building. And um, I, I said it. I prophesied it. God is going to send a coal of fire to this church. And when I said it, flame shot out over my head, ignited the building. The sound system fr- you know, fried, and I didn't see it. Everybody in the congregation saw it, but I didn't. But I saw their mouth go, like that when I said it. The pastor's wife, uh, first the pastor stood up and said, there's fire in the church. I said, amen, brother. There's fire in the church. I'm really glad you know that, pastor. And then the pastor's wife stood up and saw that I didn't realize what had just happened. The flame was up there. And uh, she stood up and said, run. And everybody went out to the parking lot in February, cold as can be, wouldn't even get in their car. They stood there with their mouths open, looking at smoke coming out of their building. Twelve firemen came and put it out, told me the fire captain of North Providence said that it's impossible to have a fire where that happened. I said, well, I know it's gone. We have gone into so many hotel rooms. Oh, good, I think I'm getting a wireless handheld coming uh, we we have seen so many fire alarms go off for years. Before our meeting, we will have we will have a hello. We will have a fire truck go in front of us, sometimes bringing us right to the church building. So fire is something that I really believe is a message God has given me. So we have called our ministry, we just changed the name of our ministry, to Passion and Fire. And we need both of it. Fire is a very common picture of the Holy Spirit. Let's see, you can't have a meeting before you start with prayer, right? Okay, stand up everybody. Glorifier makes me want to run around the building. (laughs) Woo! Lord, just get him with your Holy Spirit right now. Just bless him. Yeah. Thank you, Father, for the goodness of the Lord on his life. All right, slip your hands up like into the heavenly realm, like you're going to pull down the blessings of God. Lord, I pray that you will release a baptism of fire in this house, and if you want to fry the sound system and the lights and blow out circuits, Lord, our insurance will cover it. And we thank you, God, that you're raising the dead, you're proving the power of your word with signs and wonders, the Lord himself working with your servants. And we thank you that you brought us here, Lord, to Powell, Ohio, and you've given me this message, the seven expressions of a baptism of fire. And we pray, God, that something will ignite here in this church And in this region that will carry long after my voice is silent. Do it, Lord. Demonstrations of power. Right here, God. Take the coldest, hardest heart in this room and light them on fire. And make them into a spirit-filled maniac for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So, baptisms. There's the doctrine of baptisms. I was looking at the verse... As I was being introduced here tonight, and by the way, don't we have wonderful pastors here? Isn't it so awesome? I'm telling you, Mary is so really nice. Yeah. Oh, and so is Jim. They are both just fantastic leaders. No, truly. We, we've enjoyed a good part of our afternoon with them today and so love getting to know them better. But fire is, is connected to the baptisms. There are seven baptisms mentioned in the Bible. Seven, there was a baptism of water or the baptism of repentance. It was the baptism of Jesus, which was uniquely his, because he was not baptized to repent. He was baptized to identify with sinners. He was numbered among the transgressors. There's the baptism of fire that we're going to talk about. There's a baptism in the cloud, believe it or not. Uh, There's a cloud baptism that is coming back to the church. When Israel was at the Red Sea, and Christian Bale was leading, I mean, Moses was leading them. <laughs> Charlton Heston, if you're my generation, uh, w- brought them to the Red Sea, and Yul Brenner, no, the other guy, uh, Pharaoh was chasing them. The cloud of glory came down and separated between the two. For the Hebrews, it was a cloud of glory fire. Uh, but for the Egyptians, it was a cloud of thick darkness and doom. And that's what people are looking at on the horizon. They're seeing clouds, but they're misinterpreting it. They're thinking it's doom and gloom when Isaiah 9, verse 1 says, No more gloom. And there there really is not doom and gloom on the horizon, it's the cloud of glory. You just have to be on the right side of the cloud. You've got to understand, everybody sees the clouds on the horizon. I get it. But for the believer, it is a greater glory. Doesn't the Bible say that he takes us from glory to depression? Glory to uh, defeat? What does he take us from? Glory to what? Okay, some of you are stuck at two. (laughs) Glory to glory. You need to get to the next level. So there is a cloud baptism. There is, uh, this one will excite you. You'll you'll want this so bad. It's a baptism of suffering. There's a baptism into Moses, believe it or not. You are baptized into the leadership anointing of, of whatever ministry you're under. You get baptized into that anointing. So it's really good that you've got the baker baptism here in this house. Isn't that good? You get the revelation, the wisdom, the, the, the uh, blessing of their marriage and of their family and the, the strength of their integrity. You get that as a covering, so to speak, uh, here in your ministry. Is that seven? Did I give you a whole seven? Six? So look at the footnote on Hebrews 6. Here, let me get it to you real quick. I don't want to. You got seven? Okay. Yeah, I think I gave you seven. All right. So these, these, the doctrine of baptisms is one of the important things. We turn away from dead works into a doctrine of baptisms laying on of hands, and other things that are foundational in the body of Christ. And, and so many people don't understand these baptisms. So what I'm going to focus on tonight is the baptism of fire. I think about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Interestingly, the word Emmaus, and by the way, I'll show you, we'll drive by Emmaus when I take you to Israel. TPTIsraelTour.com. But uh, Emmaus means burning place. So the hearts of the two disciples, as they walked with Jesus to the burning place, began to burn, the burning heart of love. You see, you get close to Jesus, your heart will catch on fire. You need heartburn for God. When Jesus is seen in Revelation chapter 1, when we get an unveiling of who Jesus really is. One of the descriptions we have of Jesus in Revelation 1 is that his eyes are like fire, right? This is not fire of anger. This is not fire of I'm coming to kill you. I'm coming to judge you. I'm coming to destroy you. No, it's the fire of passionate love. Fire in his eyes for you and for me. That will destroy everything that gets between he and his wonderful bride, the divine romance. In Luke chapter 12, please turn there or open your app. Let's do a little Bible thing here. Luke 12, 42. This is a verse you're going to memorize. This is a refrigerator verse. This is something that every believer should understand. Luke 12, 42. Jesus says, I have come to set the earth on fire. You see, you think He's going to judge the earth with fire when Jesus said, I've already come to bring it. I'm going to set the earth on fire, and how I long for every heart to be already ablaze with this fiery passion. The, the desire of Jesus was to ignite something. He wanted to light a fire in the hearts of people. Passionless Christianity went out, dude, with the 80s. I mean, there's no space in the kingdom of God for heartless, lethargic, lukewarm, passive Christianity. They have a word for passive Christians in English. It's called depressed. I have found the root cause of depression, invariably, to be a passive spirit. When you are depressed, you have allowed your spirit to be deflated and and pacified, so to speak, When the only cure, there's only one cure for depression, and that's to shake it off. Whether you uh, will do it right away or you'll do it five years later with medication and thousands of dollars of therapy, the day will come when you say, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take it. You're just going to say, no, I'm not going to take it anymore. And that's what breaks the chains of passivity off the human spirit. God has not called you to be passive. He's not called you to play it safe. I'll never forget when the Holy Spirit came to our church. And I know that sounds funny, but, I mean, isn't he supposed to? Yeah. But I'm talking about a real baptism of power that came to our church. It it happened uh, on one Sunday. And bodies were flying. Um, uh, My wife doesn't like me to say it, but she's in a good mood, so I'll say it tonight. She actually levitated off the floor by the power of God. She floated right up off the floor, done it twice, a number of feet, because the power of the Lord that came into the room. Some of you don't. Some of you think you're believers, but I start to stretch you with the word of God and the power of his spirit, and you go, I don't know about that. Was that real fire or virtual fire that lit that church? And Well, ask the fire department, bro. They don't come put out virtual fires. By the way, the pastor took us to lunch afterwards. <clears throat> we pulled in the restaurant. It said, the firehouse. I go, come on, baby. <laughs> that night, I had a meeting in another church a few miles away. Every person in that room that saw that fire, you bet they showed up at the meeting we were at. I think it was Rick Pino and I or whoever, whatever the worship leader. And it was hot. I mean, smoke and glory, fire hot. I, and I'm sitting there buzzing, and I'm saying, oh, Lord, are you going to do the coal of fire again tonight? He said, don't even go there. So I got up and said, God, you came here, most of you, to see the coal of fire. It's in me, and I'm going to release a word of fire to you tonight. I preached okay, I guess. God's not called you to play it safe. Tell the person next to you, even if you don't like them, God has not called you to play it safe. You're not going to make it in the kingdom of God. With the intensity of the demonic, with the, the world itself, with its siren song to allure you away from the ways of God, there's too many pitfalls. The Christian life is an obstacle course, dude. It's not a sprint. And, and you better have a passion that will carry you through. Jesus said, I have longed to set this earth on blaze, ablaze, and how I wish every one of you were already burning. God has not called you to play it safe. So at Pentecost, what was the manifestation that came? Feathers, gold, what was it? Fire, baby. Burn up some of them feathers. I mean, feathers are okay, but that's kind of to ease us into what God's really going to do. When you see what Ezekiel saw in chapter 1, Your hair blasts back off of your head, if you've got it. And and the fire of glory begins to blaze, and the living creatures and the wheels, wings, the whirring of, of wings, and the wheels, inside of wheels, and the glory fire erupts, and a man steps out of the fire. What you gonna do when it comes for you? So I'm sitting in my home. We were pastoring at the time. My wife was working at Yale. And I'm sitting in my bedroom. I was actually on the side of my bed. I was on the edge of my bed. And I'm. it's my custom in the mornings. I told my staff they love this. I said, you won't see me in the mornings. They go, oh. because they could get stuff done. But um, I said, I'm going to be home every morning. I'm gonna love on Jesus. I try to spend six hours a day in prayer and the Word. Okay, that's been my habit. So I'm on the side of my bed and I'm just praying and I'm thinking about my congregation. I think about the people God called me to shepherd, and, and then I started thinking about what a lousy pastor I was. And and I'm not looking for any anything other than just listen. Uh, and, and I began to repent. I began to think about things that I that I said I shouldn't have and things I should have said that I didn't to people to encourage them and. And all of a sudden, my wall melts right over here. You guys are sitting in the right place tonight. My wall of my bedroom (laughs) melts. And a ball of fire six feet high comes into my room and walks right up in front of me and stands there. I did not need to know who it was. I knew. The one I love, a burning man of fire, came in front of me. And I don't know how long he stood in my room, but I began to tremble and shake and shriek like a 12-year-old girl. Don't make me demonstrate it. But I was totally undone. It was like, uh, it wasn't just my life was turned. It wasn't like my pockets were turned. Everything in me just went right out. My whole ministry flashed in front of me. Not my whole life, but from the time he'd set me apart, At 20 until then, uh, the things he'd called me to do, everything just (laughs) flashed in front of me. And I'm, I'm, I'm there in front of this fiery one. And what do you say? I mean, I couldn't talk. I couldn't open my mouth to speak. All I could do was, ah! I buried my face. I turned and buried my face in the bed. And the windows were still rattling as I shrieked. The fire was there. It burnt through me. A light blinded me, even with my face turned and my eyes closed. That's how bright the light was. Finally, I don't know how long, but I had an encounter with the man of fire, the burning one. And I said, Lord, I can't take any more. If you don't lift this from me, I'm going to die. And I thought a flash came in my head. My wife's going to come home. And there's a bunch of ashes on the floor. I go, well, how'd that get there? No, honey, it's me. Don't sweep me up. It's me. You know, I wonder where my husband went. And very slowly, as I trembled like a leaf, that light, that ball of fiery light, you say, well, what did he look like, dude? My eyes were burning. I'm not going to, how can I see into the flame of divine fire? He went back through the wall. <laughs> the wall went back to its boring, normal thing. And I'm on the edge of my bed, shaking, trembling, and crying. Crying. Then I remembered, my wife told me to get milk at the store. That was my one chore for the day. <laughs> Thankfully, the grocery store was very close to our house. I cr- crawled half walk to our, my Honda Accord and got in the car and I pulled into the parking lot of the grocery store and I stumbled out like a drunk man and as, in the morning, and as I come into the store, why do they always put the dairy counter way in the back, you know? Can't they put it like, you come in, you want it right there. So it's way back, I don't even know where. I'm looking for it, and I, as I'm walking through the aisles of the store, poof, 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 people are falling over poof, poof, <laughs> right and left. And I'm so dazed. I'm thinking, how can so many people have heart attacks at the same time? <laughs> how can this medically happen? I'm just not thinking. And then the guy with the green vest looks down the aisle and says, uh, we have an emergency on the cereal aisle. Then <laughs> I realized what it was. I walked out to my car, sat there. I'm thinking, what do I do? I knew what this was. It wasn't me. It was the fire that came on me. So I went to the church. I remembered I had chapel. I was to teach the kids I was their chapel speaker for the day. So, Pastor Brian goes into the building, and I came into my side, you know, stealth door where pastors always sneak out of the building. And my staff was in in the other office, and I came in there, and they all just froze. Like I hit a pause button, they all just froze. Literally, just like that mid mid action, whatever they were doing, it just froze. Finally, Jeff, one of my team, he said, well, what what happened to you, Pastor Brian? I said, I don't know, but i got to teach the kids. So I went into the chapel, not quite this size. And and I'm sitting. I come in, and and first of all, I get about 10 feet into the, the, the room. 150 kids go to the floor, fall over, like you just swept them right down like that. And I sat on the steps of the platform. I'm just looking at them. Some of them are going into trances. Chariots are taking some of them away, you know, and some are weeping, some are shaking. And the power of God, like a a fire, rippled right through the room. And I think I sat there 30 minutes before I could do anything, just watching what God was doing with these precious kids and the teachers. And then it came time for the moms to pick up their kids. The door was in the very back. And the first mother came in and looked at her, the kids, found her kid on the floor shaking, I, her face contorted. And I realized she was really upset. And she came marching down about halfway down to yell at me, What are you doing to my kid? Bam! She falls down. Church doubled. People couldn't get into the, people couldn't get into the sanctuary. We had an atrium or a foyer or whatever you call it, and bodies were stacked there like, like firewood, ready to go into the oven. People falling out in the parking lot. The power of God had radiated over us and our building, and the glory was radiating. I'm telling you guys, this. People say, well, how do you get a church to 2,500 in New England, where there's, you know, Yale and all the all the. Tweed, button-down, stiff-starts New England Yankee people. Well, it's called Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, if you're dignified. And Holy Spirit decided to make our church his dwelling place. People smelled roses. We'd have uh, actually had a meteorite came and uh, struck Went flashing across the sky just over our building. We had our friend Jill Austin come more than once. And that really put us on the map. And people say, well, wow, you must really have church planting skills to you know, start a church with nothing and 2,500 people. Uh, they were driving from New York trains. Five hours they would come for a Sunday morning. I so, wow. And then they started inviting me to all these pastor's meetings to tell them how, I, how we did it. I said, well, you just need your wall to melt. You need an encounter with the man of fire. What will happen to you if, if suddenly he stepped into the room right now and everything you thought about Jesus fades in the light of who he really is? And this glorious fire Consumes you. Not long ago, I was in our house, and the Lord, in my time with him, he said, you know, I'm going to send you to Dearborn, Michigan. And you're going to light a fire there. And the the strange fire of Islam is going to be surrounded with the holy flame of my presence in Dearborn. I said, wow, that's quite a word. I didn't tell anybody. I just kind of sat on it day later, my phone rings. I don't know how the pastor got my cell number. He calls me, says, I want to invite you to come to our church to speak. I said, you know, I'm, I'd love to, but we're booked out 18 months. I can't really just cancel everybody and come and speak at your church. I'm sorry. Uh, he, he, I said, when's it going to be? He said, February. I think it was December. I said, no, I, I just can't do it. Sorry. Started to hang up. He wasn't very happy. And I started to hang up. I said, by the way, where are you? He said, Dearborn, Michigan. I said, I'm coming. So I made a few other churches mad at me, canceled them. And I said, I'm going to go to Dearborn. And the Lord was true to his word. He lit a fire. What was a three-day, what was going to be a three-day weekend, like something like here? It became six weeks nonstop meetings every night. Uh, The fire of God fell at the D. If you've ever been around the Detroit um, and we had pastors from all over Detroit. The first three rows were always pastors. That's exciting. When the pastors are not in the back row with their arms crossed saying, well, that's not God. It can't be because it's not through me. If God were going to come into Detroit, he would come through me. <laughs> yeah, right. And the fire was just, I mean, the, the pastors were on their face, not coming out of their nose, crying like baby boys on the floor. And it so caused the entire A region to come alive. People were coming into the meetings. We had a Wendy's right next door. (laughs) That makes it nice. Late night meetings for guest speakers who like singles. That's a hamburger, by the way. (sighs) Excuse me, honey. I'm I'm, going to get rebuked on the way home here. Fast. Maybe before I get in the car. Okay, she knew. Okay. So here's the Wendy's next door, and the fire was falling, and these radical young people were getting so lit on fire. Ah, I mean, serious. What are we going to do? They said, let's go to Wendy's and win everybody. So they went over and to the drive-thru, and they did a, a walk-through and yelled through the window about Jesus. The fire came, and everybody, including the manager and the workers of Wendy's, got saved. Turn this church and around that we we're at, and to, to this day, I'm told the fire is still burning, although it's taken different forms. But God has lit something in the D that's still going on. When the fire was so intense, probably the highest level I've seen in my ministry, I'm standing and people were just a raging, crackling fire of heaven pouring into the building. <sighs> And the Lord told me, he said, now I want you to get in the fire. I said, God, I, I, I put my time, I put my money, I put my schedule, my family, my life, everything, everything I have, I put into the fire. And God says, okay, now you get in it. Oh. And he said, whatever you, you put into the fire becomes love on the other side. And I believe the path to love leads through the fire. So let me give you the seven baptisms of fire as I open my iPad. <coughs> Let's see, what's my password? Six, seven, eight, nine, six. Okay, that's the only way I can remember. Uh, you guys all right in this Lutheran church? By the way, he calls his ministers flames of fire, not ice cubes, Okay. Let's let's run through this then we're going to have a fire tunnel. <laughs> oh Jesus. Mm. Let me read what I have in my notes if your soul doesn't burn with love for Jesus then you're in religious bondage. How's that from the really nice passion translation guy? <laughs> the sweet song of Solomon guy, all right? If your soul doesn't burn with love for Jesus, then you're in religious bondage. Everybody in this room is destined for fire. You get to pick which one. He'll either burn on you or in you. You get to choose. Kisses and thunderbolts are coming to a church near you. Luke chapter 3 says... There is one coming who is mightier than I. John the Baptist is speaking. In fact, I'm not worthy of even being his slave. I can only baptize you in this river, but he will baptize you into the spirit of holiness and into his raging fire. He has in his hands the authority to judge your heart and the power to sift and cleanse you. He will separate the valuable within you from that which is worthless. The first expression of the baptism of fire is the fire of purity. It's called cleansing fire. Interestingly, the word in Greek for fire and the word for cleanse is the same. There are certain things that can only be cleansed by the cauterization of fire. There are wounds that can be healed by fire. There are things that can be burnt up in you chronic Habits, addictions, you know, issues, isms, wasms, and spasms that can only be healed by fire. It can only be cleansed by the fire of God. You guys okay? I really am a lovey-dovey guy, but I'm going to talk about the fire tonight. By the way, tomorrow I'm going to give you the mysteries of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about the mysteries. 27 times in the New Testament, the word mystery is found And most Christians can't give me two or three. So we're going to do a study tomorrow on the mysteries of God. And we'll take you into the sod level, the deepest level of revelation that the prophets walked in. I want to introduce you to that level of anointing. But tonight, fire. What's the first level or first expression of the baptism of fire? They got it over here. Cleansing and purity. Who can endure the day of his coming, Malachi says? Who will stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like launderer's soap. When my wall melted, boys and girls, I was cleansed. I was uh, totally purged. I was radiated, nuked, microwaved. I don't know how to say it. I was absolutely, from nose to toes, fire came all over me. It changed my life. It changed my ministry. And in a a way, it changed our region because of an encounter. And I believe that spiritual encounters, heavenly fire encounters, are going to multiply here in Ohio. Come on, Buckeyes. God is going to do something here in this region that's going to ignite the hearts of men and women, the campuses, the universities, the high schools, Middle schools, grammar schools, even our children, our little children are going to start carrying the flame of God upon them. And don't forget the sign of fire out of the head of Pentecost. So this purifying fire, there's actually the spirit of fire mentioned in Isaiah 4. Now Isaiah 4, flip over there to the Bible, in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 4. Uh, just real quickly, I want to give you a, a few verses here. Isaiah 4, verse 1. <clears throat> now, this is the bachelor's verse. I would have the bachelors raise their hand, but they don't want to. But this is the verse of bachelors. And every Bible college bachelor had this verse written on their, either their board or their refrigerator or whatever. They, they had this verse written out, and they claimed it every day. And you'll know when people have found it because they're the ones that are laughing. They're the ones that are laughing. All right. What is Isaiah 4 verse 1? In that day, say it out loud, seven women will take hold of one man. That's the bachelor's verse. Now surely out of seven, one of them is a keeper. In that day, seven women will lay hold of one man. That's in the Bible, guys. How many churches in the book of Revelation seven churches in that day the seven churches are gonna lay hold of one man his name is Jesus come on he will be our magnificent obsession it won't be ministry gifts personalities the worship team who's got the microphone it's one his name is Jesus in that day, the seven women will lay hold of this one man, apprehend him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 4 is a table of contents for the book of Isaiah, and if it's with your permission, Pastor, I guess I'm going to go ahead and say it, uh, I'm going to be coming back and I'm going to do a course on the book of Isaiah, a seminar type college, actually seminary level, graduate level course on the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. And I'll teach you then what I'm saying now, that Isaiah 4 is the table of contents for the whole book of Isaiah. In other words, if you expand out Isaiah 4 with its just, what, six verses, it it becomes the table of contents for this entire prophetic, panoramic vision of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is in the Passion Translation. It'll be out the end of October. You actually can pre-order it now. But um, it goes on in verse 3. Jump down to verse 3. And you'll see the phrase, the spirit of burning, or the spirit of fire. Which is it in your translation? What does it say? Anybody got it? Isaiah 4, verse 3. Spirit of burning? Oh, it's verse 4. I gave the wrong reference, sorry. Spirit of burning, okay. Anybody have spirit of fire? You have spirit of fire, okay. Uh, Either works. But think of fire as the spirit of fire. I'd have to say the spirit of fire is upon me. And he has sent me to ignite the churches wherever we go with prophetic revelation, apostolic teaching. But behind that, the flame divine, the sacred flame that came upon me. That's a bold declaration. I kind of like saying it. the spirit of fire. It's interesting, in the Garden of Eden, when man and uh, when Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden in a minivan, as they were driven out of the garden, <laughs> I know my church didn't like it either. I'm sorry, I've got to put you through all this. <laughs> what God did was he, he it says that he, the cherubim that he he came down, and, and the cherubim stood as a like a barrier to the pathway to the tree of life. But if you'll look at the text from the Hebrew, it doesn't say that the cherubim came down. It says God himself shekinahed there, shakan, which means to dwell. And it is where we get the word shekinah. So the shekinah glory, the first level of the glory of God, was manifested there at the garden gate. It was to keep people away. But now the glory fire brings people in. Those cherubim were embroidered into the veil of the Holy of Holies that separated man from God. And when the veil was torn top to bottom, it was as though the cherubim parted, sheathed their fire sword, and now everyone can come and be a high priest. Everyone can come and access the tree of life. The fire sword that was spun and twisted and spinning there at the garden gate. Every believer now passes through Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is spinning and active and on fire. My, mind. It says that it's a two-edged sword, right? Hashtag no. The word edge is not there. It's not a two-edged sword. The word of God is a two-mouthed sword. 2 mouth. When it comes from God's mouth and you speak it out, it's a two-mouthed sword. That's okay. Some of you will get it. The first level or expression of the baptism of fire is to be clean for the kingdom. If you can't break open your city, break open your heart for your city. It's friendly fire, but it will cleanse and purify you. The second expression of the baptism of fire... Is what I call the fire of passion or zeal. It's a zealous flame. It's the the fire of passion and zeal. This is the fire that Jesus wants to ignite every believer with. Luke 12, verse 42, I have come to set the earth on fire. Jesus said to the Laodiceans, I know your works, that you're neither frozen nor boiling. God wants us to be boiling with fire. I shared with you this weekend the name David. It comes from a root word that means to boil over. So David's name doesn't just mean sweet, beloved guy, but somebody with fire and passion. If you're going to have a heart like David, your heart's going to burn. You're going to have a heart on fire. Tell the person next to you, you need to get the fire of God in you. Go ahead and tell them. Be nice about it. It's the truth. It's not a rebuke. It's not a correction. It's just the truth. Joel's army. I shared with you about the, the locust army of chapter 1. How many of you heard me share that? Yeah. I, it looks like I should repeat it because only 10 people heard me. The locust army of Joel. There's two armies in the book of Joel. Joel. Joel speaks of an army of locusts in chapter 1, verse 4, and he uses four Hebrew words to describe the the maturing of this locust spirit. Now, when Israel came into the promised land, what did the ten spies say they looked like in face of the giants? They said, we looked like grasshoppers, we looked like locusts. So, the locust is a picture of the re- religious spirit that always intimidates you, puts you down. You didn't go to Bible college. You don't know Greek and Hebrew. You're not a scholar. Who do you think you are? Where do you think you got that? That is a religious spirit, bro. And what did John the Baptist come eating? He came eating locusts, and he washed it down with revelation honey. Honey is a picture of the revelation of the Word of God. The Word of the Lord is sweet as honey, Psalm 19, verse 9 and 10. So the the locust and honey-eating prophet came as a sign to Israel that Joel's army of chapter 2 has now come. I said there were two armies. Joel 1 is locusts. But chapter 2, for a number of verses, you know, blow the trumpet in Zion, Hello, blow the trumpet in Zion because there's an army coming and it's going to race down the mountainside like the dawning of, of a new day on a hillside on a mountain. Now if you think of the dawning light on a mountain, it's the top of the mountain that gets the light and then it raised, the light itself races down the mountainside as a day dawns. You with me? And that's the way the army of God is going to come. They're going to come out of the higher realms with revelation in their heart and flame wrapped around them because Joel says there's fire in front of them and fire behind them. That means they are wrapped in the flames of God. It also means they came out of the fire to go into the fire. If it's behind them, they came through it. Some of you are going through the fire. You say, why is this happening? It's because you're going to be a mighty one. That's going to release glory to the nations. They came out of the fire, but they're going into the fire. In front of them, a fire blazes. It says, behind them is a wilderness, a wasteland. And that's what you've had to walk through. Your wilderness, the wasteland, the the junk you went through. Those stranger things, dude. But in front of you is the Garden of Eden. Paradise is in their eyes. I had a dream a while back, and I... It was a wedding reception, except in the reception, they were singing this song. In the garden of Eden, baby. And then the song lyric said, in the garden of Eden, baby. That's okay. It's all right. You, anybody younger than 50 goes, huh? Oh. All right, you're still locked in the 80s, dude. Some of us, we had music, dude. I mean, Steppenwolf cream. Three dog night, grand funk. Yes. <laughs> <Sha-ba-ba-ba>. <laughs> Interesting, it's the bridal revelation is gonna help restore the Garden of Eden. There is paradise in our eyes. There must be this flame of passion in an army of lovers. I love the song we did. Andrew, are you here in the room? Thank you for singing us, singing for us today the song about the kiss that makes me uh, what did you sing bro? The kiss, your kiss wins my battles something like that, yeah and, and the Hebrew word for kiss means to take up weapons and go to war it's nashak. it is a homonym it has a dual meaning actually it has three meanings, it means to kiss, shall I demonstrate no uh That's right, we're grandparents. We have to act. That's right, grandparents don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. But it also means to take up weapons for war, to go to battle. But it also means to take a drink of wine. And this is why the early expositors of the Song of Songs were convinced that the kiss is the inebriating love of God that just... You get under the table. I mean, you go. Uh, you, you're totally gone with it. And when you really get into the bliss kiss, um, it will do it to you. It really will. Right, I could almost go there right now. Let me get you to the third expression. It is the fire. I call it fire. Firepower. It is the fire for power. This is the fire that came at Pentecost. Jesus said, "You know, you will. You will be baptized." with power, stay here in Jerusalem until my spirit comes and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Ohio. (laughs) And so this fire, when it comes on you, it's going to give you power to witness. Some of you are out on the streets, you're doing the deal, that's awesome, keep doing it, but you need the raw power. You need the kind of power that people three blocks away get healed Don't even know you're there. Fall over on the ground, shaking, boiling, baking, frying like bacon in a pan, and shaking under God's power, and they get uphealed because you're six blocks away walking down the street under the glory of a God. Here's your new healing model, folks. Lay hands on a hospital, and everybody gets out. Signs and wonders are coming. The children are for signs and wonders. 8.18, Isaiah 8.18. God's going to raise up a generation. They're going to operate in signs and wonders. Miracle power is going to be granted. The four levels of power found in Ephesians chapter 1, those four Greek words for power, they're all going to be released. Of course, you know about dunamis, but you don't know about kratos. Oh, man. Wait till that power hits. There's all kinds of levels of power surges that are going to come and shake the daylights into you. Is it okay I talk this way? I know you'd rather have, give me the Shulamite kiss stuff. Uh, well, okay, you should go get the, what was it, the other night. Yeah, I'm in a fire mood tonight. So we need this. We need fire power. I mean, guys, the, the triumph of the cross is endless The triumph of the resurrection cannot be limited. Death itself is about to be crushed by a generation of lovers that will go beyond. They will go beyond the veil. They'll step in. Bilocational ministers are coming to a church near you. Out of the heavenly realm, they will come clothed in fire. They have been with Jesus in that cloud. You'll have no problem recognizing them. Daniel 12, 3, they will glow when the lights are off. Moses' face lit up, but it was reflected glory. What's coming is a transfiguration, Matthew 17. It's a transfiguration from the inside out. It's the glory in you. You got to go from glory to glory, bro. The one you have isn't working. It's a little boring. It's, you're stuck there. It's great you get healing on the streets. It's great you get a word of knowledge and we have the healing rooms. And I'm not, honestly, I'm not. But I'm saying there's got to be a hunger and a passion that says there's more power waiting for lovers, not power hungry, insecure leaders that like to control and be big shots and have a bigger car and reserve parking and 10 people carrying their suitcases in their private jet. I'm talking about power that is private and public. That you are literally baptized in a fire power, And when you go, you cause riots. You turn cities upside down. People are so angry, they want to silence your voice. But people are so broken by the message that they come weeping at your feet and say, What must I do to be saved? I and my family. That kind of anointing, apostolic if you want to call it. But it's fire, my friend. The whirlwind of fire is coming to Ohio. I would not be surprised you do not have a sign in the next three weeks of an actual whirlwind hitting this place. When the cloud of glory came into the upper room, The spinning fire, pillar of fire, it's the same pillar of fire that led Israel for 40 years, manifested night and day. It reappeared in the upper room. It reappeared. And the spinning cyclone of of glorification fire, it, it parted and every believer got their individual pillar of fire shooting out of their head. I mean, you can just imagine, you know, Isaac turning to Jacob and saying, Dude, you got fire coming out of your head. And he says, So do you, bro. And every one in that room, 120 pillars of fire. And how many got saved that day? When the law was given, interestingly, the Jews say it was at the day of Pentecost that. The Torah was given on Sinai. Mo came walking down with the stone tablets of the law. And the guys were having a rave around this idol. They're clubbing down there. And and you know what Moses said? What he said to the Levites? Okay, whatever you think about Levites, remember this. He knew they would kill him. He said to the Levites, put a sword on your thigh and you go and slaughter everyone that is worshiping that calf. 3,000 people died that day. The law kills. How many were saved at Pentecost? Okay. The law kills the spirit. You need the pillar of fire. Number four is the fire of his presence. This is what makes you a deliverer. The fire of his presence This is what turned Moses from a nomad fugitive into a deliverer that that set a million people free. The fire of God's presence on Moses empowered him to face Pharaoh, and with the ten plagues, as it's known, With the rod of of power and authority, Moses shattered those ten demonic strongholds. It's actually the ten fingers of Satan. In my book on Moses, I identify the ten Egyptian strongholds that Moses broke. They worshiped the Nile. They worshiped frogs. Yeah. They worshiped these beetles. Not the ones you're thinking. And every one of the plagues, the sun god, Ra, God made it, it lights out. Darkness came. It was a judgment against the principalities that were holding God's people back. And it was all because one man stood in front of the flame of God and ignited his soul and burned in the presence. As I read the text, Moses was not there for a day or two. He was there weeks, face down in the sand, until he became a flame of fire. He became a burning bush. Interestingly, the word for bush or shrub is a thorn bush bro it's a thorn bush it was a thorny bush now the thorns in the Bible are a picture of the curse of sin when Adam and Eve fell God cursed the earth not them and the earth was cursed to bring thorns and thistles right what crown did Jesus wear when he was crucified He took the curse of our sin. So, this thorn bush on fire was a prophetic picture to Moses. You are living in a cursed life. You've got sin all around you. You've got the curse of your past that you're running from. But I will be in you a flame of God, a flame divine that will kindle everything that stands in the way. Moses became a walking deliverer, he became one of the deliverers of Obadiah 21. God promises in the last days that deliverers are coming. Now, the fifth book of your Bible should not be named judges. It should be named, because you think of a Supreme Court, or you think of a judge. That's not. It should be named deliverers. That word shapan is actually deliverers. It's the Obadiah 21, in the last days, deliverers, ones that are too hot to handle, that have been in the fiery presence, that aren't going to take... No for an answer. They won't ask a cheesy bishop for permission. They're going to do what God called them to do. They're going to walk in the flame of God. Like it or not, they're going to ignite something all around them. So I had this dream. I have dreams too, Candace. (laughs) Eight a year. She gets eight a night, but anyway. So I had this dream, and it was the thick darkness had come over our planet. It's like today. It was impenetrable. It was horrible. I knew it was a moral darkness. It was, it was just yuck. It was really not good. And in the dream, I'm beginning to cry and I'm weeping and I'm saying, God, who is going to break this darkness? Who's going to come and pierce this darkness and break it, lift it off our planet? And then I saw a group of young adults, millennial warriors. And I saw them stand at the horizon in my dream. And they commanded the sun to rise at midnight. They commanded it. They didn't pray, oh, God, in the beauty realm, sweet Jesus. They commanded the sun to rise at midnight. The decree of God came from a two-mouthed sword. And they spoke it out, and the sun came when the sun don't shine. And then I heard the booming voice of God in my dream My daybreakers are coming. My dawnmakers are coming. Daybreakers are coming. My dawnmakers are coming. I got the answer to my prayer. Who will lift this darkness? It's going to be men and women, some of them young and some of them who think they are. And are going to bring the light of a new day. They're not going to wait for a new day. They're going to bring it start bringing the thing instead of waiting for it you become the revival message listen you'll never revive ohio until someone in ohio gets revived an ohio needs to be revived you're not gonna revive america until an american gets revived someone somewhere is going to catch what came into my room that day, and be ignited with such passionate flame that they're not going to say, I can't do this. I'm insecure. Uh, Nobody believes me. They're going to stand up and do the will of God. They're going to hear and see what God is doing, and they're going to decree it on the earth. There's got to be a boldness, a holy confidence in the blood of Jesus, the power of the word of God. Man, I'm preaching here, guys, but... What was that? Six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, password. Number four. Fire of his presence, dude. I didn't tell you about Finney, did I? Charles Finney. How many of you have never heard of Charles Finney? Don't be don't be ashamed if you haven't. Okay, good. I, I like to help people with this. <coughs> Charles Finney actually ended up dying in Ohio. <coughs> <coughs> well, that, but let's start at the beginning. Um, <laughs> Finney was the, the most powerful, and I'm, I'm not going to exaggerate when I say this, probably the greatest evangelist to ever walk the earth. And every evangelist from 1830 on, including Billy Graham, can be traced back to Charles Finney. The anointing that came on his life was so powerful. Finney had an encounter. He was a lawyer, and he met Jesus said one day he closed the door of his office, and in his typical 1830-esque fashion, he said, it was as though Jesus himself stood right in front of me. And the man of fire put his hand upon him and lit him on fire and commissioned him into this evangelistic ministry. And Charles Finney, wherever he went for years, people would fall over miles away. You've got to understand me when I say this. Miles away from where he stood, people would get hit by a glory zone. A zone of glory would come over regions that extended for 50 miles. A 50 mile radius of glory. He called it his years of burning. I have a copy of his handwritten memoirs. He called it his years of burning that he would be ignited with the anointing of Holy Spirit fire that would cause people to fall over, that would cause people to not be able to stand, and people that couldn't even see where he was would, would fall to their face and to their knees and say, I got to get rid of my sin, I need Jesus. He lit cities on fire. He ignited the nation. Rochester, New York, was virtually converted through the ministry of Charles Finney. People would go into Penn Station, New York, grab trains to go upstate, and they would ask the conductor a silly question. They'd say, where will I find Finney's meetings? And he would laugh as he was typically asked, and he'd say, don't worry, you'll feel it before you get there. And as the train was miles outside of Rochester, people would begin to shake and in the train itself come under conviction of sin. They didn't need to know where his meeting was. They just followed the massive crowd as they got off the train as every day Finney priests with a power and authority that, tre- that caused the hearts of men to tremble. Political leaders, rich, poor, everybody in that region It was so radically converted that to this day, there's streets, hospitals, and schools named after Finney in Rochester, New York. This will shock you, but in the 1930s, it was listed as the most desirable place in America to live because there was no crime. And the the city was so converted, and there was just worship and, and hymns and stuff. Finney, one of the presidents, it was either Cleveland or McKinley, I can't remember which president attended his funeral. Somebody's going to have to straighten me out on that one. Attended his funeral and and gave the eulogy and said, no man has changed America like Charles Finney and made it into a Christian nation. Finney, from his ministry came D.L. Moody. From his ministry came so many powerful evangelists, including one by the name of Titus Cohen. I'm sure you've never heard of him. C-O-A-N, spelled his name a little different, Titus Cohen, he was from, if I remember right, he was from Boston, but God gave him a mandate after being converted at Finney's meeting, and he went to the Sandwich Islands, that's where the sandwiches came from, thank God Burger King and Wendy's, okay, you know what the Sandwich Islands now are named, right? Yeah, Hawaii, it's the Hawaiian Islands, but when you, in the day of Titus Cohen, in the mid-1800s, they were cannibals. They were flesh-eating, people-eating people. Folks, now we all go there to enjoy, you know, do the hula and stuff. But it was not a tourist attraction. Titus Cohen goes there. And he preached a message. I read the sermon. It, the sermon was entitled, You Know Not What a Day Will Bring Forth. And he warned the people of Kona that you don't know what will happen tomorrow. So today is your day of salvation. Nobody was converted. The next day, a tidal wave of unimaginable proportions swept over the island and killed many people. They remembered that message. The entire island of Kona was converted in in a matter of days. And it was the largest church in the world at the, in the mid-1800s. It wasn't Korea. It wasn't Joel Osteen. It was Titus Cohen and the Hawaiian. And from there, they got on their dugout canoes, and they went to all the islands. And Hawaiian evangelists evangelized the rest of the islands, eliminated that South Pacific spiritism that was there, and, and, and they became Christians, including the king, Kahamunamunahamunahamunahamunahamunahamunahamunahumah. Hakuna Matata. King Hakuna Matata became a believer. I speak in tongues trying to learn Hawaiian. (laughs) My point is Finney to this day impacted by the fiery presence. Let me finish here real quick. Number five is the fire of holiness, Isaiah 6. The flame, the coal of fire that sizzled his lips uh, there's, there's a fire that must be on our hearts and on our lips. We must speak like men on fire. Amen? Well, you don't know what revival preaching is, guys. I may, I may be giving a teeny itty-bitty dose occasionally of that stuff, but I'm telling you, I'm prophesying to you, revival preaching is going to come. And it's not just the one-liners and you write notes. It's you hope you can get up off the floor. A fiery presence is going to start coming, endorsing God's servants with the prophetic fire. The fire of holiness is going to start sweeping into our meetings, and we can be loving. We can be kind. We can be joy-filled. There'll be joy in the house of prayer, and I'll, I'll laugh and giggle like the rest of you, but there is a season of holy flame coming. Isaiah wasn't laughing in the throne room. He said, woe is me. I'm the one. It's undone. Isaiah 6 encounters are coming. We need to dust off that old song and bring it back. I saw the Lord. Yeah. And and, and let the holy flame begin to burn. Okay. The the sixth, I I don't know exactly how to call it, but I'm going to call it prophetic fire. It is the fire of the word of God. That my words become like fire. Jeremiah said, I, "They came, I got so tired of speaking, and nobody would listen. Nobody's hearts would be moved. So I decided, I'm going to shut up. I'm not going to preach anymore. And then all of a sudden, a fire came in his bones. His bones got on fire. He said, there's a fire in my bones that won't let me shut my mouth. And he began to speak, and Jeremiah became a mighty prophet of God and converted many but that prophetic fire in your bones, what's it going to look like when your family gets all freaked out over you? What are you going to do? My father, when I, when I became a believer, I came from LSD to G-O-D, bro, one day. I started preaching that night, I became a believer. I led the army barracks where I was at. I was in the military until they kicked me out. And, don't tell anybody, especially my grandkids. But I led the the barracks where I was at. Every one of them got saved, and some of them were all believers, but they needed to come back to the Lord. And I thought, man, maybe I am called to do something here. But I'm telling you, there's a fire in your bones that will not shut up. I saw it in the jungle with a tribe of people never heard the gospel. Dude, I have seen too much to turn back. Because of some starched religious spirit that says, you don't, how can one man translate the Bible? I don't know. Ask Wycliffe. Ask William Tyndale. Ask Moffat and some of the other Bible. I don't know. All I know is he told me to do it. And a million and a half copies later, I'm going to keep doing it. And there's so many times I, I, I have been told, you can't do that. You, who, who do you think you are? Nobody. I don't think I'm anybody except Candace's husband. I'm married up, but a fire comes in me, I can't shut up, dude, you guys think you got evangelism, Jesus freaks back in the early 70s, we had red light evangelism, you know what red light evangelism is, you're driving your car, you got six dudes in your car, all of you burning, shaking, God's power all over you, the light turns red, Every door flings open. You go to the car in front of you. You pound on the window. You better get saved. God's calling you right now to come to Jesus. Man, they run red lights just to get away from you. We had red light evangelism. We'd pray for red lights. Let it be long so we can preach to them. Yeah. Oh, man. Calm down. I forgot I'm a grandfather. I uh, I need to calm down, right? Yeah. No. Put it on his tombstone. He went up burning. It's an atmosphere of fire. It it releases the word to your generation. It cuts through the, the static, the white noise. It cuts through the PC world we live in. There's something that cuts through. It pierces the hearts of men. That fire must come, and the last one, and it's the best one, it's the seal of fire. The song of songs, it's the seal of fire. What began with a kiss ends up in flames. The Shulamite lover, she said, let him kiss me. She didn't say, let him give me a sermon. She didn't say, let him do a miracle. She said, let him kiss me. Let him kiss me. Four of the sweetest words that every believer should focus on. Let him kiss me. And that cry for a kiss, he instantly manifested because it went from second person, uh, I'm sorry, it went from third person to second person. It was let him kiss me to the very next phrase, your love. So between asking for the kiss And speaking again, he manifested in front of her. When we do this on Broadway, it's going to be so cool. She's going to say, let him kiss me. He's there. And weeping on her face, your love is sweeter than wine. The fragrance of your name. It's like flowing oil. It's the finest perfume. No wonder the brides-to-be adore you. No wonder the maidens sing your praise. And that journey of the Shulamite, it ends. He says to her, put me now, take me, and put me over your heart as a seal of fire. We're going to have a seal of fire tunnel. For Jesus to be over your heart, some of you are sealed with your failure. You're sealed by your past. You're sealed by what your parents said. You're sealed by what? A former employer, friend, roommate. I don't know. We get get marred and scarred, don't we? But he says, let me be the seal. The seven seals that are broken open in the book of Revelation are all in you. You're the seven-sealed scroll. He's the word, and in the volume of the book is written of me. We are the seven-sealed scroll of Revelation 5. Boom. Put me now as a seal. Take me as a seal of fire. It's the solar flare of love. When you have a seal of fire over your heart, The threat of death will not bring you fear. Persecution. Rivers of misunderstanding cannot put out this fire. Rivers of persecution and rejection will not quench that flame. Many rivers cannot put out this fire. If you were to give everything you owned for this fire, for this love. It's nothing. It's nothing. If you had an eight-year-old daughter dying and the only thing that would save her is a medical treatment that meant you had to sell your house, your car, cash in everything you got, throw it all in the pile to pay for her healing. You would do it. It's a love that can't be... There's no price tag to it. There's no... How are you going to put a value on something stronger than death, more jealous than the grave, that rivers cannot put out this flame? There's an eternal fire that must be lit in your heart, and it is a fire of divine love, sacred, holy fire that, that you cannot chase... Another lover. You cannot stretch your commitment to God or break a vow of marriage or sin your way into foolishness. Why? Because there's a seal. There's a flame. Go ahead and try. You'll come weeping back saying, Oh, I'd rather have you, God, than my pleasure. There's a sacred fire that's gonna come upon you in this tunnel tonight. Tunnel of love, tunnel of fire, tunnel of whatever you wanna call it, but God's gonna ignite you. Is that okay? Did you know the word sealed is a homonym? (laughs) It also means prison cell. Be a prisoner of my love, be imprisoned. I say, throw away the key, God. Lock me in. If there are bars in my prison cell, they're gold. If I am restricted, it's only love that holds me fast. Throw away the key. Imprison me. Don't you see now why Paul says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord? You can only love in that prison cell. There's no, there's no space to hate. There's no space to get angry and to get upset and carry your silly offense through the week. Like, is it that important? You stop and think about what you got offended over, and it's like, gosh, I'm insane. Why am I? Why would I trash my relationship for Jesus with Jesus to hold bitterness in my heart to what some uncaring person may have said or done? It's so much more important to be imprisoned by this love. Well, I've taken your time tonight. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. There's much more about fire in the Bible, but this is a good outline of this baptism of fire that's coming. And it's going to fill you. And I'm going to have the worship team come up if they're, if they're on the ball.